Welcome to Word Journeys, a podcast about etymology and the surprising stories behind the origins of English words. This is Dallas, coming to you from Philadelphia. Today we'll look at how one very old place name gave English two very distinct sets of derivatives, one scientific, the other ethnographic. And apart from their similar etymological origin, our key concepts today are all united by themes of transition, impermanence, and a search for origins. And the origin of our key word begins almost 3,500 years ago in a city in the Nile Delta. Stay with us. Part 1. Our key word for this episode is Egypt, and its ultimate origin comes from the Egyptian language. Egyptian was part of the Afro-Asiatic language family, and it's one of the earliest recorded languages we have, dating back in the written record to around 2700 BCE. It persisted for a long time, passing through what are labeled as Archaic, Old, Middle, Late, and Demotic periods until the period of Greek and Roman Egypt. By around the 1st or 2nd century CE, Egyptian had transitioned into what is called the Coptic language, which used a modified version of the Greek alphabet as its script. When the Arabs conquered Egypt, they introduced Arabic, and the use of Coptic declined, and was mostly confined to liturgical uses, and it died out for the most part in the 17th century. The word Egypt itself comes from an old phrase associated with the city of Memphis. Memphis was the capital of Egypt during the Old Kingdom, and its patron deity, or chief god, was named Ptah, a god of craftsmen and the mythical father of Imhotep, the architect of the first step pyramid. So Ptah was the creator god and a craftsman who had special significance in Memphis, and appropriately, the great temple in Memphis was called the Hut Ka Ptah, meaning the enclosure of the Ka, or soul, of Ptah. Memphis became famous for this great structure, and by around 1350 BCE, in the late Egyptian period, the city of Memphis itself was called in some places Hikupta, after Hutka the enclosure of the Ka of Ptah. And this name for Memphis is corroborated in other sources. It shows up in Linear B tablets in Greece as Aikupitio, and Hikupta became in Greek Aiguptas, which became Aegyptus in Latin, to Egypt in Middle French, to Egypt in English. In fact, the word Copt or Coptic, referring to the last phase of Egyptian language and to a denomination of Christianity, also comes from the same root. Aiguptas in Greek went into the Coptic language as Guptias. From there, it became the Arabic Kupti, which was shortened to Kupt, which became the English Copt. The etymologies I just discussed all passed through the Greek language, but what about the name of Egypt in other contemporary languages? The Arabic name for Egypt was Mizram, and the Hebrew name was Mitzrayim. But it seemed that the ancient Egyptians themselves referred to their land as Kemet, which comes from the word for black and maybe means black soil or black earth, referring to the rich, fertile soil of the Nile floodplain. And it is this name which will occupy the rest of this first story. By the time of the Roman period, this name, Kemet, became either Keme or Kema, and it entered Greek as Kemia, 
first cited by the Roman writer Plutarch in the 2nd century CE. But over time, this word took on a new connotation. We have evidence for the Greek word chemia taking on a new meaning in the late 3rd century CE. The Roman emperor Diocletian had a lot on his plate at that time. He was facing revolts in Egypt, and he was also worried about imitation gold disrupting the Roman economy. In an attempt to combat imitation gold flooding the market, we're told that Diocletian passed an edict in the 290s, which called for the destruction of everything in Egypt that had to do with the manufacture of gold and silver. And the word for manufacture used in the edict is chemia, the same word meaning Egypt. It's not exactly clear whether the name of Egypt came to also refer to a metal manufacturing process because the Egyptians were skilled in this technique, or whether maybe the term came from another Greek root, maybe chumea, meaning pouring, but then took on an association with Egyptians. But in any case, Kemet, the land of black soil, produced or influenced a Greek word which meant manufacturing of metal. Fast forward to the 7th and 8th centuries. The Muslim world was flourishing, and it was a center of scientific advancement. Muslim scholars frequently copied and translated scientific and philosophical texts, and in general, a great deal of emphasis was placed on experimentation. And it was this blend of science with a little bit of influence from philosophy or mysticism that created a new discipline. In naming this endeavor, the Greek word chemia, once Egypt, and now metal manufacturing, was used with the definite article in Arabic, al, to create the word alchemia, which gave us the English word alchemy. And over time, by the 14th and 15th centuries, alchemy had spread to Europe and came to be known more specifically as a type of science which sought to purify certain compounds. By the 17th century, there was a new term which coexisted with alchemy and basically meant the same thing and was from the same root. That word is chemistry. Beginning in the 18th century, the terms began to diverge, with alchemy referring to more fanciful or elusive endeavors, for instance, finding ways to transform base metals into gold, and chemistry referring to what is closer to modern chemistry today. It was Islamic alchemy which gave Europe many new technologies and gave English many new words that were derived from Arabic words and I'll share some of those right now. One of those words is alcohol, coming about in Europe as an alchemical term, referring at first to a powder, but then to a liquid or anything else that had been distilled. It comes from the Arabic al-kohul, which referred to a type of cosmetic powder. There's also alkali, as in alkali metals. This comes from the Arabic al-kali, meaning burnt ashes, and it referred to the same salt that was called potash in Europe, from which potassium is derived. Ever wonder why the chemical symbol for potassium is the letter K? The Arabic al-kali was rendered in German as kalium with a K, and potassium took its symbol from the first letter of its German name. Turning back to alchemy proper, there were three primary divisions, or rather three things that alchemists sought to discover. The first was called a panacea, a universal remedy, and this is derived from the Greek roots pan, meaning all, and akos, meaning a cure, a cure-all. Another object sought after was an elixir, a type of substance that could change base metals into gold, or even prolong life. 
Elixir is from al-Iksir, the Arabic term for the same thing, and the Iksir is derived from the Greek xerion, a type of powder, from the Greek adjective xeros meaning dry. And finally, according to Paracelsus, alchemy could produce the alkahest, a universal solvent, a substance that would break any substance down into its most basic elements. This is a bit impractical. What container could even hold the alkahest without breaking down itself? But the name is just as impractical. It was simply made up by Paracelsus to sound as if it were an Arabic alchemical term. So of the three divisions of alchemy, the panacea, the elixir, and the alkahest, one is Greek, one is Arabic from Greek, and a third is fake Arabic. Finally, there are some English words that are derived from Islamic scholars of the period. One came from the name of 9th century Muslim scholar and mathematician Al-Khwarizmi. Latinization of Arabic names was a common phenomenon in medieval Europe, and Al-Khwarizmi was Latinized as Algorithmi, and that's where we get the English word algorithm. But this wasn't Al-Khwarizmi's only contribution to English. The English title of his best-known book is The Compendious Book on Calculation by Completion and Balancing. The Arabic word for calculate here was algebra, which introduced the term algebra. Coming up, more about Egypt's afterlife. Stay tuned. Part 2 There was a nomadic ethnic group that began to migrate into Europe starting in the 13th century. In the 14th century, they had arrived in the Balkans and in Bohemia, and had reached Western Europe by the 15th century, and Northern Europe by the 16th century. People in Western Europe, however, didn't take very kindly to them. We're told that this group practiced fortune-telling, horse-trading, and other similar tasks, and suspicion and resentment led to many countries issuing orders expelling members of this group. The group is today called the Roma, or the Romani, but in English they were referred to as gypsies derived from Egypt, where they were thought to have originated. In fact, many terms for this ethnic group, both self-identified and not, center around this question of origin. The French called this group Bohemians, believing their origin, or at least their point of entry into Europe, to be the Eastern European region of Bohemia. This word has been present in French since the 15th century, but it wasn't until the 19th century that the meaning started to shift and was figuratively applied to artists and musicians who lived apart from conventional society, just as the Romani lived apart from French society. We still call somewhat aloof and artistically-minded people bohemian in English today, and it has lost its negative connotation. The Spanish also had a term which might have hinted at this question of origin. The Spanish word flamenco, used to describe a characteristic type of Romani dancing, meant both flamingo, the bird, and a Flemish person, a native of Flanders. The name of this lively dance might have been taken from flamingo, the bird, due to the bright costumes of the dancers, but it might also have referred to a supposed point of origin for the Romani dancers, Flanders in this case, or maybe it was a catch-all term for foreigner. Whether the last example is relevant or not, all of these attempts to name the Romani for various regions ultimately proved incorrect. The origin of this group is now thought to be northern India, 
and this was concluded primarily on linguistic grounds, because the Romani language is similar to Hindustani and other languages of the northern Indian subcontinent. The words Romani and Roma come from roots which mean man. Roma means men in Romani, and it is thought to ultimately derive from the Sanskrit word domba or doma, which refers to a man of a low caste, particularly a musician. In fact, there are two other nomadic ethnic groups, thought to be quite similar to, or an offshoot of, the Romani, called the Dom and the Lom. It is thought that Rome, Dom, and Lom are all derived from the same Sanskrit root. The Romani people self-identify as a Roma in Eastern Europe, but the Romani living in some Central European nations call themselves Sinti, deriving the name from Sindh province in Pakistan. Other Romani in Spain and Northern European regions call themselves Kalo, which means black. In any case, none of them refer to themselves as gypsies, which is why this term is considered derogatory today. Instead of a cognate corner for this episode, I'll share a few English derivatives which come from the Romani language, many of which are fairly recent and were initially used in British criminal slang before becoming more mainstream. Here are five quick examples. The word shiv, from a Romani word for knife, was first attested in 1915. The word narc, meaning a police informant, is from a Romani word meaning nose, and is first attested in 1859. The word posh, before referring to a dandy, referred to money itself, and likely comes from the Romani phrase posh kuruna, which means half a crown, or a half penny, posh meaning half. It is attested as referring to money around 1830, and had transitioned to describing a dandy by around 1890. The British slang word chav, referring to an antisocial but cocky youth who wears bling and dresses in designer clothes, probably comes from a Romani word meaning child. This emerged in the late 1990s. And finally, this one is uncertain, but possibly we get the phrase hanky-panky from the Romani phrase hakni-panky, meaning big trick or big con, and thus shady behavior. But hanky-panky might also just be a riff on the phrase hocus-pocus. There won't be a specific word puzzle for this episode, because it came out simultaneously with episode 11 on syphilis. That one has a word puzzle at the end if you want something to mull over until next time. That's it for this week. If you'd like more information or you want to access some online sources on our topic, just visit our website at www.wordjourneyspodcast.com. As always, feel free to write in with questions, comments, or suggestions for future topics. If you've been enjoying the podcast, tell your friends about it, and please consider leaving a good rating and review for the podcast on iTunes. If you're interested in contributing to the show, you can visit our Patreon page. Musical selections in this episode come from Turku, Nomads of the Silk Road. This is Dallas Simons. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.